Welcome to AUSA's Army Matters Podcast, focusing on what's important to the total Army community. We bring vital Army conversations and interviews on issues relevant to soldiers, military families, and all of you amazing Army supporters. Rotating each week, our show includes Soldier Today, Army Real Talk, Family Voices, and Thought Leaders. Let's tune into the show. Welcome to AUSA's Army Matters Podcast. This is Thought Leaders with Joe Craig. My guests today are Jonathan Klug and Stephen Leonard, editors of To Boldly Go, Leadership, Strategy, and Conflict in the 21st Century and Beyond. Jonathan Klug is a professor at the U.S. Army War College, a military strategist and historian. He's a Ph.D. candidate in military and naval history at the University of New Brunswick, and he's an award-winning military history instructor who's taught at both Air Force and Naval Academies. Steve Leonard is an award-winning faculty member at the University of Kansas, where he chairs graduate programs in organizational leadership and supply chain management. A senior fellow at the Modern War Institute at West Point, he's the author, co-author, or editor of five books, and he's a prolific military cartoonist. John, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us, Joe. Yes, thank you. Right. Well, first, uh, let me just begin by saying how much fun this was to read. Uh, I, I love to boldly go. I'm a longtime sci-fi geek myself. So it was great to see how the book uses science fiction to explore issues of strategy and leadership. And I love how it's perfect for browsing with short pieces from over two dozen writers. So, uh, Steve, maybe you could tell us like, how did you decide to come together on this project and how did you select the contributors? Oh, so that's a great question. So the, the genesis of this project dates back to about 2018, um, uh, where Mick Ryan and I were sharing a dinner at uh, West Point uh, during a, a Modern War Institute uh, uh, event. And, and he kind of threw the idea out that, uh, hey, maybe the two of us could do this. And, you know, you kind of look at that and say, well, that's a lot. Uh, I, I don't have the bandwidth to write a whole book myself, certainly not in any short period of time. So how about we look at, you know, maybe doing an anthology, which he and I had both done uh, previous anthologies. We've been involved in Strategy Strikes Back and Winning Westeros, which were Modern War Institute projects uh, that predated To Boldly Go. And um, that was a, a great way to do it. You know, we thought, hey, let's start to pull this together, see what happens. And so we started to reach out for contributors, and we kind of targeted some very specific folks. Uh, uh, we pulled in some writers that had been, been involved in our previous anthology efforts. Um, and, uh, you know, John and I were bouncing back ideas uh, for how we would do this. And John was a natural inclusion in the project because, like I said before we started, John and I have been We've had a, a an ongoing relationship for 20 years that, uh, you know, we collaborate on things, we share great ideas, and this was a great idea. Uh, but one of the things that we really wanted to do with this was make sure that we had a really good balance of writers. Uh, and, and we really wanted to have a good a good balance of a, a good mix of gender, gender in, the, in, the, in here. So have at least half of the writers be women since, you know, Half of the population is women. So it, it just seems like having a good representative sample is probably a good goal to have. And, and literally, we just started to reach out to people. Uh, we started with some of the folks that uh, helped on um, on those previous anthologies. And from there, we started tapping into people that we knew were either into the genre 
or um, were just really exceptional writers. Um, and, and, you know, we, uh, there's either even a couple of people that contributed that don't have a background in science fiction and were immediate, their immediate response was, oh, yeah, I can't write about it. I, I don't watch Star Wars. I've never seen Star Trek. Like, don't worry about it. You're going to binge watch over the holidays and then we're going to catch up. And uh, I won't, I won't name any single contributor, but it worked. Uh, and, and the results, you know, you saw the results yourself. If you couldn't tell that there were people that had never seen, read, or experienced science fiction in that group of contributors, if you couldn't tell that, then we were successful. But that, in a nutshell, is kind of how we threw this whole thing together. Right. As you say, it certainly does not uh, show in the final result. And uh, I kind of envy those folks who got the chance to do the binge watching because I know it certainly uh, inspired me to do so. Um, so, John, let me let me turn to you for a moment and ask, you know, why is science fiction uh, such a good teaching tool for the military? Well, I, I think it allows people to tap into uh, their imagination and in that in and of itself, I think, gets people excited. And I think people learn so much more and so much more effectively when they're really interested in, in a subject. And if you can tie in, if you can tap into imagination and you can tie in to some of the things that they enjoy away from work, it, it just is so much more effective, so much more fun. Science fiction is such a, a broad genre and, and it explores so many aspects and, and so many science fiction shows involve military uh, and, and leadership concerns, strategic concerns. So it, it just just really becomes natural. And to kind of tie back into the first question, we wanted to make every one of those chapters, you know, ha have something for everyone. You know, I may not be familiar with Old Man's War, but I'm very familiar with Dune and, and, and people are like that. It, so it can tap into something that you're familiar with, tap into something maybe you're nostalgic for, like I enjoyed Dune, read it a long time ago, watched the one in the 80s, watched the, the recent one. But that just makes it so much easier to get excited about, which makes teaching so much easier. Well, that's fantastic. And uh, you know, just to kind of flesh that out, uh, using sci-fi as, as a teaching uh, tool, um, maybe we could take a case example of the piece that you worked together on. Um, can you walk us through the lessons to be found in Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan? Maybe you start with you, John. I think fundamentally it comes down to the notion of the, the, the experience versus the intelligence. Khan's brilliant. We, we all know that if, if, if you've seen uh, any of the old Star Trek or the Wrath of Khan itself. He's obviously brilliant. He's genetically engineered to be superior in so many ways, et cetera, et cetera. But um, he, in the original television series, he spends a lot of time looking at uh, different things in the Enterprise's computer and becomes intimately familiar with the systems and so forth. But this only goes so far. He doesn't have an experienced crew. Uh, you know, from everyone uh, from those down in the engine room to different parts of the ship to the actual uh, crew um, in the command center, if you will, of, of the Reliant. And not only that, but it's just him. I, the 
a chapter on toxic leadership, which we could discuss later, where Khan is kind of a uh, exemplar of toxic leadership. But you contrast this with Kirk. Kirk's crew um, is a Starfleet crew, so they're used to operating. They understand the sh- systems. I mean, granted, they're, they're trainees uh, on the Enterprise at this time. But when you look at the actual uh, immediate staff for Kirk, this is another aspect of the experience. So I always like to bring up, um, you know, Napoleon as an example. He was a military genius, brilliant, intelligent, in some ways like Khan, but he's also experienced. Now, when you talk about the Napoleonic Wars, one of the things that Napoleon's enemies did was they created a general staff to try to, uh, through multiple people, bring that same level of excellence. So rather than relying on one person, one genius, you tap into the strength of a group of people who are used to working together. So that's that's a huge plus on Kirk's side. He doesn't have to just rely on himself. He's taking advice, especially from Spock, you know, the whole Z minus 10,000 meters point. Steve? Right. Oh, and that's a terrific point to note, uh, that, that the interplay between... Um, the crew of the Enterprise and the crew of the Reliant. Uh, it's not just the leader, it's the, it's the people around them. And, and if you watch that set-piece fight, uh, it's, it's Spock, it's Chekhov, it's Sulu, it's, it's even McCoy. You know, they're all involved and they're all advising and, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're helping Kirk you know, fight that fight. Then you juxtapose that with the Reliant, and it is Khan forcing his way to, to do things his way, forcing the crew to fight the only way he sees how to fight, and he becomes predictable and defeatable as a result. And, and so that really, that, that that's something that's a lot of times is lost in the retelling of that, that battle, is that it's not just the leader, it's the crew, and experience underscores everything that happens. Did you know, as a member of AUSA, you have access to many benefits. From car rental to entertainment discounts, the opportunities are ample. Visit www.ausa.org benefits to learn more. All right, well, in addition to you know, the, the leadership lessons and, and the value of, of, of crews and experience, um, I'd like to talk about uh, you know, the timeliness of science fiction. We've got, uh, you know, science fiction, like fiction in general, usually reflects the issues of the day. Uh, for example, Steve, you know, Planet of the Apes, you mentioned as an allegory for civil rights. And then you have some books that can be reinterpreted in light of later events, like uh, Stephen King's The Stand. What is it that makes a good science fiction story timeless? Sometimes it's just, it's just the timeliness. Uh, I mean, timelessness, I think that, with science fiction, it tends to because it's speculative, um, even though it's rooted in the issues of the day. Because it's speculative, it just it kind of rides a wave into the future, so it's relevant until it's not relevant. Uh, you look at uh, Asimov and the um, the whole robot novels, and and as we as we look at emergent artificial intelligence. And the, the ethics behind artificial intelligence it just keeps bubbling to the surface. How do you ensure that ethical conduct and behavior is present there? And all of a sudden, then you have people talking about the three laws of robotics um, and, and how Asimov built in 
ethical behavior into the robot novels, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Um, and it's still relevant today. It's a, it's a hot topic of discussion, and it probably always will be. Um, uh, the stand was a great subject. Uh, and I like to point the stand out. And Craig and Steve Whiteside, who wrote that chapter, um, this was written pre-pandemic. So the fact that they wrote a chapter about a pandemic and then drew lessons from that pandemic in the chapter, and then what happens? Uh, COVID hits. And and it just made that chapter all the more relevant as we went through editing because we didn't see it coming. You know, the world didn't see this coming. Uh, and then you have this chapter that is absolutely timeless in its in its arrival. Um, you couldn't ask for anything better than that. And it was just a fluke. But but uh, you want to talk about a great fluke. Uh, I, I'm thankful that chapter was in the book. Um uh, and there's other chapters too. You take Max Brooks's chapter uh, and and how he uses the the Romulan wars and and the use of the Remans by the Romulans to tell a story of, uh, for example, the Tuskegee Airmen after World War II and their their return to the United States and and their expectations to be treated equally and, and at least as well as they should be treated considering the sacrifices they made. But yet you tell that story, but you tell it through science fiction. And so it gives you a kind of a safe space to, to consider the ideas um, while you can really sit down and talk about those ideas. But you're doing it within the context of a fictional universe. Right. And, John, you know, one of the other timeless themes that we see that's mentioned again and again throughout the book is, is the idea of rebellion. Why, why do you think rebellion is so popular in sci-fi and what lessons should we take from it uh, you know, the next time the U.S. actually faces a counterinsurgency? Yeah, the, this is this is a, a a really interesting question. You know, I mean, you you kind of have two major parts there. It, what, why is why is in, in science fiction is it just great storytelling? You know, when when someone is uh, rebelling against the evil overlords, you know, t you can you can pick your genre. And and explore that is is there something in that just uh, to good storytelling is there is there a part of that about the the birth of our nation um, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure why it is so popular why space operas as sometimes they're called like Star Wars why why is it <laughs> you know why why are they the rebels why is that why do we come to it it could be just storytelling but to go towards the counterinsurgency and insurgency side you know we've we've grappled uh with this for the the past 20 years and science fiction very often uh reflects current uh issues whether they're social as we we've kind of talked about or in this case the conflict side of things um if you look at the uh uh, you know, early 2000s version of, of Battlestar Galactica. Uh, a lot of people point towards that as, as a large allusion uh, to the global war on terror. I, I think it fundamentally it just goes back to science fiction allows us to explore strategic problems, strategic concerns uh, in a way that taps again into our imagination it, it lets us 
explore things, explore it through a story. So when I looked at Insurgency, you know, I looked at Dune as far as the, the Fremen and looked at uh, Star Wars, um, you know, looking at uh, the Alliance side and then even Battlestar Galactica looking at um, a little bit of, at both sides, which is interesting. If I'd been able to do any more, three was enough for that one chapter. But if I'd done more, I'd often thought about trying to explore uh, Flash Gordon for for those of us who uh, remember the classic 80s movie. Right. And, and kind of a related idea to that, you know, it, uh, you know, the way that these rebels succeed, uh, it's often in the face of, you know, overwhelming technology. Uh, and so we get this common theme in the book that, you know, technology matters, but people matter more. So, Steve, I was wondering, what, what can sci-fi teach us about the value of, say, training and doctrine? Oh, wow. That is a wild question. Let me tell you, um, <laughs> if, you if you've had any experience with the uh, Tradoc Mad Scientist Project, they, uh, they've done really well with that. Um, and they've used science fiction and fiction in general as a foundation to explore ideas that kind of fuel that, uh, that exploration. You look at the training piece of that, the development of individuals, of teams. Um, uh, doctrine doesn't come up quite as often as training does, uh, for probably obvious reasons. Um, but, you know, we, we kind of looked at that too. Even in the book, there's a chapter in there that uses um, starship troopers and the development of, of of characters in that in that show, that movie, and in the book that deal with um, you know, over time how you grow capability at the individual or at the team level, and 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 they explore training just through that lens of starship troopers. Um, because really the whole movie is about the development of, of Rico and, and everybody that surrounds him and what they do. He grows from being just this, you know, just basically a goofy high school kid to, you know, a proficient warfighter, you know, fighting the alien bugs. Um, and, and all that's done through training and experience and development. And, you know, so when I look at the Mad Scientist Project, that's been a great platform to to use science fiction to explore the issues that are central to training and doctrine command. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly lots of uh, examples of, of people developing uh, you know, tactics and techniques on the fly. And, and uh, one of the chapters talks about you know the, the costly lessons, the blood lessons uh, that you know perhaps can be uh, ameliorated by the use of uh, ficint uh, by using fiction. Uh, but, uh, you know, gentlemen, this, this has been a fantastic, uh, conversation. It certainly can go on, uh, much longer. Um, but do you want to wrap up with things? Uh, maybe two quick questions, uh, for you each, uh, to close this out. Uh, one, you know, if you could add one book to the military's uh, reading list, uh, which one would it be and why? And then two, a short one, but very important, uh, Star Wars or Star Trek. So maybe John, you go first. <laughs> um, I, I think uh, if I had to recommend um, one book, that, that's that's always a real challenge. But I, I'm going to stick with one that I, I've, I've kind of come to use lately, and that's probably The Expanse, the, the first uh, couple books especially. Because when we talk about science fiction and we talk about um, space, of course, space and cyber being uh, things that we've been focusing on. 
learning about trying to get ready. I think the expanse does a great job about handling what conflict in space would probably look like. I mean, before they get any kind of crazy uh, alien technology or anything, but when we're talking about real Newtonian physics, uh, the way that we see things right now, I think the expanse would be my recommendation. How about you, Steve? Uh, for me, uh, there's actually two different things uh, that I've recommended. Uh, for a straight-up science fiction book, I will always go with the Foundation series. Um, uh, as a strategist, the Foundation series by Asimov always represented the, the idea that you see the forest and you don't get lost uh, with the trees. And, and, the, and the whole focus of that, that series is seeing a future that can be hundreds, if not thousands of years away, but keeping your eye on that future and not losing it, which is really what strategy is all about, staying focused on the vision and the conditions that you want to establish and, and not getting lost in the here and now. Uh, but I also, rep I also recommend uh, a different book, which is, again, fiction, and it's totally off the wall, but I recommend it as a reading list book because it's great for how to tell a story. And that was uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs' Tarzan of the Apes. Uh, I actually listed that in a, in a Modern War Institute publication for one of my top five reads. And it was my number one read because I learned how to write by reading Edgar Rice Burroughs. And, and, and just his ability to tell a story and convey that story in a vivid picture so as you read, you can see everything, you can smell everything, you can taste things. It's just, it's so realistic and so uh, alive that that's how you tell a story. Uh, and I would definitely add that to a reading list, too. All right. Well, I'll pin you guys down on uh, the Star Wars versus Star Trek at another time, perhaps. But, uh, uh, gentlemen, I want to thank you both for being our guests. Uh, and listeners, their new book is To Boldly Go, Leadership, Strategy, and Conflict in the 21st Century and Beyond. So, gentlemen, live long and prosper. <laughs> thank <laughs> you so much. Be with you, Joe. <laughs> and to all our <laughs> listeners, thanks for joining. Keep it locked here for all Army Matters and for next week's episode. Have a great Army Day. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Army Matters podcast on iTunes and everywhere podcasts are found. The Army Matters podcast series is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army. The U.S. Army's Professional Association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission to educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and our supporters of a strong national defense. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. Have a great Army Day. Hua.